Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And our second Bible reading comes from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through to 18. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kate. Uh, In the last fortnight, we've seen a tragedy unfolding in Turkey and Syria. Uh, You'll remember almost two weeks ago, there was a devastating earthquake, uh, and now days of sifting and searching through the rubble, uh, desperately trying to find any possible survivors. 
Uh, maybe you saw the sheer joy of the rescuers uh, as they found a newborn baby who was born under the rubble, uh, cord still attached, uh, though tragically she'll never know her mother. Uh, moments like these show us the sheer value and wonder of human life. Uh, the lengths that we'll go to, rescuers coming from the other side of the globe just to find one more woman, one more man, one more child still alive. That's the value of human life, the selfless dedication that we're capable of as well. But that's not all that we're capable of. I read a report that in recent days the hospital where this newborn baby is being cared for was stormed by intruders. Uh, They attacked the hospital director. It's not only in faraway places. Uh, Last week I was reading reports of bullying and harassment in our hospitals, but it could be unscrupulous financial advisors in our corporate world. It could be bullying at school or harassment on uni campuses. It could be in the church as well. In all these places, we find stories of the exact opposite of what we see in Syria. Instead of desperate efforts to save and to value human life, we see people demeaned, dehumanised, treated with contempt, and and tragically, it can lead to the loss of human life. And the pointy, the sharp end of this paradox is that in so many of these places, like hospitals and churches and schools, they're places of healing, places for growth and learning, where people receive care and nurture, and yet where there's incredible suffering too, often. Institutions can be both wonderful and awful, because the humans who make them up can be both wonderful and awful. We, that's me and you, are capable of both wonderful things and awful things. Wonderful deeds of selfless sacrifice, callous deeds and words that demean and belittle and inflict pain. The French scientist Blaise Pascal famously said that humans are the glory and garbage of the universe. Right? The, the pinnacle of all that's wonderful and good, the source of all that's most destructive and polluting. Humanity is this paradox. We can't separate the good from the bad. So we must ask, if we believe in a God who created all things, and particularly a God who created humans in his image, what does he have to say about all this? How's he going to respond? What's he going to do about it? If God created this vast universe, as the Bible claims... And remember uh, last week just how vast it is. John was telling us that if the the distance from the earth to the sun was shrunk to the thickness of a piece of paper, uh, then even then the distance uh, just to our nearest galaxy would be most of the way to the back of the room, uh, let alone the other 100 billion plus galaxies out there. If God is the creator of all this, If he sustains it all by his powerful word, then, well, maybe he's just too distant to really care. Too mighty, too magnificent, too lofty to worry about what's happening under the rubble in Syria or in the hospitals and workplaces of Australia. 
Maybe he's just too distant to worry about the plight of us humans on the outer arm of the Milky Way galaxy. How could we hope to approach such a lofty and mighty God, let alone expect him to care about what's happening? And we might have got this impression from chapter 1 of Hebrews that, that really highlighted just how majestic and glorious the Son of God is, loftier even than the angels. And so now our author turns to address this question, but maybe not in the way that we would expect. Instead of diminishing God's loftiness and telling us, well, God isn't actually that great. Instead of bringing God down to our level, uh, the author actually shows us God's glorious plan for humanity. Uh, Verse 5 says, It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come, about which we're speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. Uh, It's a great way to quote the Old Testament, isn't it? If you're not quite sure... It's, it, I think it's code for, oh, I think it's in the Bible somewhere, but I don't quite remember. Anyway, this quote does check out. It's from Psalm 8, which, which Kate read for us as well. Uh, it says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. Can you see what the Psalms are saying? Humans are the glory of the universe. How incredible that God would, would care for us. And, and even more, not just care, but uh, put us in a position of authority and responsibility over all that he's made. He's crowned us with glory and honour. Yes, God is lofty, and he has given us a lofty and noble purpose as well. to to reign under him, to bring the blessings of God's reign to the whole creation. The glory of the universe. But, as we know, it's not the full story. Verse 8, at present we do not see everything subject to them. We don't see this reality. The very fact that we see earthquakes and disasters show that humans are not in control. We're not ruling The fact that we see bullying and harassment shows that we're we're not bringing the blessings of of God's rule, his kind rule, even to other humans, let alone to the whole creation. Something has gone wrong. We've wandered off the, the reservation. We've strayed from the noble purposes that God has given us. We've ignored God's rule over us. And so our power over the creation has become corrupted and destructive. We exploit other humans who bear the image of God. We hunt animals to extinction. We damage their habitat, which is our habitat too, of course. We show scant respect for what God has made because we've rejected him. As Marla put in her story, we're spiritual rebels. As you can imagine, when we collectively reject the author of life, it leads to death. We simply don't see the reality that God created and planned and purposed. Instead, we see fractured communities and families. We see mental health struggles and self-loathing. See poverty and oppression and fear and isolation. And this is not to blame anybody for experiencing those things. 
these are a collective reality. The reality in a world that is not as God made it. Uh, there was another guy writing at a similar time to Blaise Pascal. Uh, Thomas Hobbes was an Englishman. He was so pessimistic about human life that he described it as solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. It's an inspiring guy for you. Basically, he said that humans are ruled by the fear of death. That, that's all that can bring us together. Uh, there's no greater good to pursue, just the fear of death to try and avoid. So if it feels like the garbage, the garbage is triumphing over the glory, maybe for you personally or in your family or your workplace, uh, then Hobbes gets you. He's your guy. He's describing a world alienated from God where we simply don't see the glory that God designed us for. But, in verse 9, but we do see Jesus. We do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Humanity as a whole does not live up to God's purpose, but one human does. Jesus has followed God's purpose and plan. He is crowned with glory and honour. Not because... He is so lofty and exalted here, we're told, but because he suffered. God's answer to the garbage of the universe is not to give up on glory, but to enter the garbage and experience it for himself. God's answer to the garbage of the universe is not to give up on glory, but to enter in and experience the garbage himself. And the life of this one truly glorious human is good news for all humanity. Uh, However mired in garbage we might be. Uh, And there's three ways, especially in this passage, that Jesus is good news for us. Uh, Firstly, he's good news because uh, he's human, so he gets you. Uh, Secondly, uh, he suffered, so we're free. Thirdly, because he is a pioneer, uh, you too can reach glory. Uh, We're going to take them one at a time. Firstly, because he's human, Jesus gets you. How can I say that Jesus gets you? I don't even get you in that way, do I? How can Jesus get you? How can the God who made everything really understand what it's like to be you? Only if he becomes like you. Our nation is facing an upcoming uh, referendum about the Indigenous voice to Parliament uh, this year. A big part of the argument for it is that when the Parliament considers laws, uh, particularly those that affect Indigenous Australians, uh, they need to listen, not just to people talking about the experience of Indigenous Australians, but actually listen to First Nations peoples themselves. Uh, we're, We're learning that someone who has actually lived it and experience it has a unique perspective from those who haven't. So how could the all-powerful God really get what it is to be human? How could he show us that he gets it? By becoming human himself. He takes on flesh and blood 
Like verse 14 says, Since the children, that's you and me, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Again, to spell it out even more clearly, verse 17 says, He had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Jesus is fully human. That means with all the bodily functions, all the capacity for greatness and the temptations to evil that it entails of being human. But I do want to clarify a couple of things here uh, so we don't run into trouble. Uh, What we mean here, Jesus, the the eternal pre-existent Son of God, didn't stop being fully God when he became human. No, rather, he assumed humanity. He, he took on humanity alongside his divinity. And so his humanity hasn't compromised his divinity. He's still fully God. He's not, a, he's not a part God, part human, like some kind of mythical hero like Achilles or Hercules or someone who's actually kind of less relatable because they're actually not really human and, and not really God. No, Jesus is fully human, flesh and blood, fully human in every way, and fully divine. Uh, God and human, both dialed up to 100%, not not 50-50 of each. He's not a compromise between the two, but both fully at once. In the Gospels, we see him cry tears, get angry, have compassion, get tired and need rest. We see him work and heal and teach and feed. We see him bleed. We see him die. Jesus is fully human. And so he gets us. He gets you. He gets what you're going through. He too has suffered and been tempted. More than that, he's not ashamed of you. You might be ashamed of him. You might be ashamed of yourself. You might hate yourself and want to hide your true self away. But Jesus is not ashamed of you. He sees you. He gets you. He's not ashamed to call you sister, to call you brother. Both the one who makes holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. He's not ashamed to call you his brother and sister. He gets gets the shame and guilt you experience. He too bore guilt and shame. He gets what it is to suffer. He's not ashamed of you. He willingly chose to become fully human, to identify with you and with me, to embrace us. He's not ashamed to call us his siblings. Because of that, he suffered for us. Verse 14 goes on, and this is uh, point two. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. 
Jesus gets us and he loves us. Because he loves us and he gets us, he doesn't leave us doomed to die, haunted by the fear of death, like Thomas Hobbes put it. No, he acts powerfully and decisively to free us from death. And how does he do it? Well, he suffers death. He tastes death for everyone on our behalf so that we are free from the power of death. Death is no longer our destiny. Uh, Our sin that leads to death is atoned for. So death is no longer our destiny because he died in our place. He's the perfect substitute for us. He's the perfect substitute because he's the true human. Right? The, the more we get this, the more it, it frees us, actually, from the fear of death. Or perhaps I can put it another way. If you feel yourself enslaved by worries and concerns that ultimately lead back to a fear of death, Maybe you're not fully trusting in Jesus as your perfect substitute. Uh, You might get it intellectually, but do you rely on him? Do you trust him in your heart that he tasted death for you? Uh, As part of my training, I did a pastoral care placement in a hospital, uh, and it's made me reflect ever since on how different people respond when they realise that death is... It's right there in your face that it's approaching. Uh, we heard Matt uh, in his story that he shared last, last year at our Thanksgiving service reflect on this reality as well. Uh, my reflections, there are some people who all their lives have been uh, avoiding thinking about death. They're, maybe they've lived for the moment almost in denial about their own mortality. And so what happens when death is suddenly right there, staring you in the face? On the other hand, some of the pastoral carers uh, where I did my placement spoke of very religious people who in the face of death were just overwhelmed by their sense of guilt, uh, the burden of shame and fear. Have I done enough to please God? What if instead of either denying death or fearing death, we trust Jesus as our substitute. We trust that he has tasted death for us. We don't deny death, we acknowledge its reality, but we trust the one who's tasted death for us, that he's atoned for our sins, taken away our guilt and shame, so we don't need to worry about that before God. And trust that he is indeed the pioneer of our salvation who leads us to glory. That's the the beautiful third part of this story in this part of Hebrews. Uh, Not only did Jesus descend to become human like, like us, not only did he suffer death for us, now he leads us to the glory that God has always destined us for. Verse 10 says he's bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It describes him as the pioneer of our salvation. I remember being on a school hiking camp through the remote and beautiful Victorian Alps. Uh, We had this wonderful week of walking. 
Uh, now we're only a few kilometres from base camp and a well-earned rest. But then our track begins to descend and the bush starts to get thicker and thicker on either side of us, going through kind of tea tree scrub. Uh, the path is sort of disappearing as the branches are blocking the path in front of us. And it's eventually becoming so dense that we're trying to push through and we can, we can hardly move. We're hardly making any progress at all. Um, we can't see more than a couple of metres in front or behind us. And I begin to feel the panic just rising in my chest. Um, I'm meant to be helping lead this group and show the way. I don't know which way to go. And even if I did know which way, <laughs> I'm not sure how long I'm going to be able to push through this bush for. We desperately needed someone to, to clear the path for us, to go before us, to, to not only show the way, but also to clear the way for us and do the hard work for us. Or in the language of our passage, we need a pioneer. Because in the thick jungle of human life with sin and suffering hemming us in, we need a pioneer to to cut a path through, to cut through our sin, to clear the way, to help us and lead us. Friends, that is Jesus, the pioneer of our salvation. He became fully human like us, so he gets us. He suffered death for us, so we can be free from the power of death. And now because he has gone ahead and is crowned with glory, He can lead us to glory too. He's cut through the sin that entangles. He suffered death for our garbage. And now he is able to make holy and glorious all his brothers and sisters. This is the Jesus we follow. This is the Jesus I invite you to put your trust in. If Humanity is a paradox, glory and garbage. And so too is our saviour. Not glory and garbage, but fully God and fully human in every way. And yet also the pioneer of our salvation. Let's take a moment or two to pray before we sing again. Our great God, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for sending him to become like us, fully human in every way, and even to taste death for us. Help us to trust what you've done for us in him, that he is our perfect substitute, that he might lead us to glory. In his name we pray. Amen. In our next song, we're going to stand and sing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, thinking about uh, all that it meant for Jesus to taste glory for us. Let's stand and sing.